shotglassdigital.com. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. Audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, Patreon supporter Tad Winter stops by to do a little geeking out. We're excited to have him. We're excited to have you on this, your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. everyone and welcome to geek out loud your safe place to geek out on the internet the only show with about three banked episodes that have got to get out before the weekend's over because next week it's uh steve at star wars weekends for the second year in a row with rebel force radio doing the meetup down there on friday at uh well all the details can be heard on rebel force radio and I hope to meet some of you guys down there. Hope to see you guys and uh, hang out a little bit. If you're not able to be there, that's cool. That's fine. That's fine. Just know that you're missed, you're loved, and we wish you were there. Uh, so, but uh, it's and, and for those of you who are listening live at Mixer.com/slash/Goldiverse, it's an odd Friday night version of Geek Out Loud, and that's just because the schedule has been so weird lately. Everything is weird. We need to step back, breathe, reset. And do it all over again. But we are super stoked on this episode because we have a Patreon supporter uh, who I honestly have always just thought has the coolest name in the world, or at least he could be a villain on one of those old '80s, you know, uh, movies where he's the rich kid. This guy has the rich kid name from one of those '80s movies. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Patreon supporter, friend of the shows, all of the shows, Tad Winter Soldier. What's up, Tad? What's up, everybody? Good to have you on, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be on. So you're chilling out in Salt Lake City? I am, yes. Now, what is, what's what's going down in Salt Lake City? Um, Currently, not a ton. Um, starting to get kind of warm, but <laughs> it's kind of a boring town for the most part. Really? Is it not a, is it not a large metropolitan city? Um, I wouldn't say large metropolitan. I think we're, we'd be on the small end. Uh, Salt Lake Valley is pretty, pretty dense, so to speak, I guess in a little, like in a small way, I guess mm -hmm. nothing like LA or anything like that, of course, but 
Um, it's still kind of a strange city. Like there's still a lot of like uh, old time, like, you know, stores closed on Sunday and stuff like that. Right, right. Have some weird like drinking laws and stuff. So I don't know. It's like around the winter we get crazy with like, you know, Sundance and skiing and stuff like that. But this time of the year, most people are probably more down further south and like the, the arches and all that kind of stuff. Now, do people say Utah? Just Utah. Okay. Because uh, there, there's sometimes I hear people say Utah really weirdly, and they stretch out that ah into an all, and it's <laughs> never anyone from Georgia. No one from Georgia ever says Utah, but I, but I hear it, and it's I guess maybe Oklahomans. I don't know. But my point is this: it's really, really strange, and it's great to have you with us, man. Um, you've been a you've been a huge supporter of the show. We see all the time in the chat, and I was I was kind of surprised you wanted to come on Geek Out Loud because you're usually pretty vocal with the Mark Out Loud stuff. Yeah, it seems like ever since WrestleMania, I've been kind of not watching as much. Right. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I actually, I do watch uh, the show Game of Thrones with my dad, and that's on Sunday nights. Gotcha. And we generally watch the pay-per-views together. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of tough with that show on. Like, that's pr- maybe part of it, but I don't know. <laughs> I just haven't been watching much recently. I hear you. Well, I- I'll tell you this. The entering work has been fantastic. The connective tissue between the in-ring work, not so much. But um, <laughs> but uh, you can hear all about that on Mark Out Loud, everyone. Just tune in to myself and Dave talking the product of professional wrestling. Uh, everything from WWE to old school to the new stuff that's happening around uh, today. Before we move on any further, just want to say thanks to everyone who's using those Amazon links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com to do your shopping through Amazon.com. It really helps out the shows when you do that in a big, bad way. No hidden fees, no cost to you or whatever. What happens is Amazon just kicks back a little bit of the purchase you make when you click to them through those links, and it helps the shows out tremendously. All of our hosting fees, all of our uh, all of our Mixler fees now are taken care of by the Amazon links. And so when you guys do that, it really helps take the burden off of uh, getting other stuff done Um so that I just know that money's there thanks to the Amazon links and you guys are using them. So thanks for doing that at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. And a hearty, and a hearty thank you so much to everyone who uh, supports us directly at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Uh, over there, uh, we have close to 100 supporters who are, like Tad, who are chipping in just to help keep the shows running it uh, helps keep our uh, our production costs down. It helps us if we, if something runs out, like even something as simple as a cord goes bad. It's there. We can do it. We can get the cord. We can replace mics. We can replace stuff that needs to be replaced. And it helps me kind of uh, have a have a little part time job, um, you know, doing what I love. And so I thank you all. I'm humbled. I'm always humbled and greatly appreciated by the support you guys show at Patreon.com/slash/GeekOutLoud. And uh, starting this month with the exclusive pods will be uh, our Star Wars commentaries coming. So uh, so be looking for that, those of you who support us at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Our featured supporter this week is the man who's sitting with us, Tad Winter. A naturally skilled in hand-to-hand combat, and he's super cool while he kicks the butt of villainy. He's Tad. Tad Winter, soldier. That's Tad. And Tad, <laughs> we appreciate your support. Of, of the show and, and glad to have you on I've said it already I'll say it again because I do repeat myself glad to have I'm you I'm sure on. I will too 
That's fun. That's fun. I'm excited to get into some stuff. Uh, but before we get into everything we got to get into, let's jump into some mail. We're going way back to the beginning of May as we've had so many different uh, emails and so many different shows with Arish and different people come on. We haven't really had a chance to, to dig deep into the mailbag. We've missed a few, so we're going all the way back to the beginning of May with this one uh, from Samuel Moon. He says, hello, Steve. After listening to all of your Not at Celebration coverage and seeing that amazing trailer for The Force Awakens, I've finally started watching The Clone Wars, and I am loving it. I recently watched the Bombed Jedi, the Bombad Jedi, and no longer hate Jar Jar. But I have a question. Yoda said that there are always two Sith, never more, never less. But in Clone Wars, there's Darth Sidious, Darth Tyrannus, and then there's Asajj. If my math is correct, that's three, and three is more than two. Can you explain this, please? Tad, let's help Samuel Moon understand how the Sith works, sir. <laughs> um. Would well, you? I will admit, I'm uh, only on the first season of The Clone Wars. Okay. I kind of missed that boat back in the day. All and right. Rebels has been amazing, so I've started into Clone Wars. Well, but as far as I like understand, is the Sith, you know, definitely train up like um, potential apprentices to overthrow the other guy. So I would assume maybe that's where those people fit in. Well, yeah, exactly. What you have is you have your you have your actual Siths which is the master and the apprentice. But then a lot of times the apprentice, what we've seen, especially with Dooku and Asajj, and then later Dooku and Savage Opress, the apprentice will actually take on what he calls an apprentice and, and is more an acolyte that is not a full-fledged Sith. They're not a Darth. If you notice, Asajj has not been given the, the title of Darth. Um, and so she's working with the assumption that Dooku will overthrow Sidious and will then uh, bring her up into the dark side. Dooku's operating on the assumption that Sidious doesn't know that that he's training this woman in the dark side. So it's it's all a big part of what the Sith do. Uh, even though they've been lauded for telling the truth all the time, because Darth Vader tells Luke the truth and Dooku tells Obi Wan the truth, um, they still deal in a lot of lies and deceit. They deal in half-truths, and they deal in the shadows. And so it's all about trying to overthrow your master when you're a Sith. And who and, and you got to have someone waiting in the wings. So that's what that's all about. Uh, you'll see more of that as you go on, especially, Tad, and when Darth Maul comes into play. Yeah. Ass gets crazy. <laughs> that's all there is to it. So... Um, Man, we've got to uh we got so much going on. There's so many things. Uh Yitzi chimes in our good friend Yitzi from Israel. And this is from back in April. He says, Hey Steve, this is before it was released in theaters around here. Yitzi says, Hey Steve, so guess what I did Friday morning? That's right. Uh, you didn't give me a chance to guess, Yitzi. I sat through two hours and twenty two glorious minutes of Avengers Age of Ultron. Apparently they decided to release it here on the twenty third a whole week before the U.S. release. I'm sure it had something to do with the 23rd being our Independence Day and thus a national holiday, but they didn't tell me the exact reason for the decision. Uh, so obviously I'm not going to spoil things for you, but I want to report firsthand that it is indeed awesome and that I saw it. 
The comedy you were worried about might be absent uh, thanks to early trailers is definitely there in full swing. James Spader's Ultron is equally amazing, psychotic, and terrifying. The movie is a lot less dark than I thought it would be considering the dark tones the Sage 2 films have left us off in. I don't really want to say too much, but I'm super excited and can't wait for your podcast on it. Disclaimer, the author is not sorry for the length of this email. And that's from our good friend Yitzi. Now, Tad, we've talked on the show at length about Avengers Age of Ultron. It's sat with us all now for a little over a month. How are you feeling a month out from the release of Age of Ultron? I loved it. Um, I've seen it three times. Uh, the first time I actually saw it was uh, one of those crazy 27-hour marathons with all the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. So the first oh, time you I did was... That. Uh, I actually stayed awake the whole time, wow. which is crazy. Yeah, but um, I have like I was a little bit like foggy, so the second time seeing it, it was a lot more, you know, on point. But the then I saw it another time just because it was amazing. I loved it personally. I know some people have been a little bit critical, but I absolutely adored it. Yeah, it's you know, it, I saw it. I only saw it twice, and I recognize its flaws. And a lot of times when I offer criticism of a film that you know if i'm if i'm less than just overjoyed about it people kind of come at me like whoa why aren't why don't you like it and it's not that i didn't like it it's that i'm very aware that uh, that i that i think the weakness if there's any weakness of avengers age of ultron it's that uh it works too hard to connect to the next few movies um whereas i feel like the avengers should be a cap with maybe an epilogue setting things up for what's to come rather than be peppered with uh references to the infinity stones and that sort of thing this this felt like the and i loved it don't get me wrong i loved iron man 2 and but i feel like the same problems that people had with iron man 2 are the ones that people have with avengers 2 um that it is too much trying to be connective tissue rather than uh, an avengers movie however um you know as an old school comic book fan and and knowing how things used to connect back in the day, not as directly as they do nowadays in the old Marvel comics, but but back in the day you'd have loose references here and there to stuff. I still love it. I love what they're doing. I, I think that you know it's it's something that no one ever thought would be able to be done. And the fact that you're able to complain that maybe it feels too connected to everything else is just we never thought we'd be able to complain about that. Good Lord. You know, go back to the Matt Salinger Captain America movie from 1992. Did you ever see that, Ted? Uh, no, I haven't. I've seen uh, clips, uh, Conan O'Brien leading up to the uh, first Captain America. I kept teasing that he had clips of the movie. Nice. And he played the clips from that <laughs> old one. <laughs> uh, you need to check it out. It's available like on Blu-ray now, the old Matt Salinger Captain America movie. It, I, I'm very nostalgic for that movie because it was in the heyday of my collecting when it can't, when it was released straight to video, and I remember getting it. And though I had problems with it, even as a little geek, I was just like, "It looks great. I'm so excited they're doing this," you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I never dreamed of a world where. Captain America and Iron Man would be on the screen together. Or I, you know, I go back to, I was talking to Dave Jones uh, from Mark Out Loud last night after we finished recording a little bit, and we were talking about things, and and I was just like, because he's not seen it yet, and I said, you know, when I watched the first Avengers, I was shocked when the Hulk is running down the corridor of the Helicarrier, which we'd seen in the previews, and then out of nowhere, Thor just jumps him. And we got to see a Hulk-Thor fight, 
which was one of my favorite things always in the comics, to see those guys fight. One of my favorite issues of, of the Mighty Thor is uh, Thor, the Mighty Thor number 285, I believe. Don't hold me to that. Let me make, let me, let me check my sources uh, before I, before I go too nuts on this situation. No, it's not 285, apparently. It's uh, 385. My bad, guys. My bad. Um, yeah, the, the, the Mighty Thor number 385. It's just a one-shot tale, and the whole thing is him fighting the Hulk. And it's just this great fight. And there's one point where Hulk just kind of says, you can't do anything without your hammer. And Thor throws his hammer away. And this is a time in Thor's life when if he didn't get the hammer back in his hand with like a minute in like a minute, he would revert back to his human form of Eric Masterson. And so there's all that going on. But it's just, uh, I always love seeing that. And when those two went to fight in Avengers, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so because of that, I feel like I wish they they would have held back the Hulkbuster stuff from the previews and all. Um, yeah, I, th- I agree. I think that would have been a really cool reveal. And uh, I mean, it was still super cool, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have been surprised by this the way I was about the Hulk Thor fight. But um I say all that to say it's an amazing movie, man. It's it's chock full of stuff, and I agree with everything Yitzi said, right down especially to the James Spader. What they did with Ultron and and James Spader, you know, portraying Ultron was just right down to these little subtle mannerisms they gave him. Just incredible. Incredible. I am um Let's see. I'm I'm trying to dig. I'm really digging around the old mailbag here, Tad, because there's so much. <laughs> We're so behind on everything, and I'm just trying to make sure that I've I've gone as far back as I can because I'm going. Uh, that was from April, as you heard. Um, Karun chimes in about Daredevil. Did you get to watch Daredevil on Netflix? I did. Yeah, oh, I absolutely adored gosh. it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a fanboy for Marvel, so that, I'm well, loving a lot of what they do. Good, then we're going to have a good time. Karun uh, <laughs> chimes in, he says, Heads up, this email might run long, so I'll get right into it. First off, Daredevil. I can't say anything good about the show that hasn't already been said. It's a street-level hero, and seeing a blind guy kick butt is refreshing. I will say this, this show is a slap in the face for any DC fan who says Marvel is too kiddish. At the same time, it's a slap in the face for the Marvel fanboys who claim superiority by saying DC's dark tones are the wrong way to go. Personally, I still find Arrow to be the darker universe. Daredevil just has more violence. The show had some originality. I say some because I saw a lot of scenes that seemed almost lifted from other media. Hell's Kitchen itself seemed to me like a cross between Starling City and Gotham's Gotham City. I feel like they should have introduced the red suit a little bit sooner. The suit and that acrobatic fighting style did remind me of Arsenal from Arrow, but since Colton Haynes has left the show, this fills the void. However, that scene from the first episode of him fighting dudes at the docks disturbed me. It was Batman Begins all over again, him leaping off of storage units, hiding in the shadows, the whole thing. And someone at Marvel had to have realized that. I don't agree with you about having him do crossovers. I like him being the first street-level hero fighting alone. I like that he isn't as much of a deal in the MCU like Iron Man or Cap, and I feel like they should keep him that way. Also, the characterization of Fisk felt a little off. I've played the old Spidey games to know that this representation wasn't true to the comics. It was terrifying to see him get mad, but I did get tired of him going on and on about the city and how he loves it. Also, dude's whipped. Let's stop right there, Tad. Um, I, I feel like I see where Karun's coming from. Uh, I feel like some of the criticism is a little bit unfair, though. 
when you start talking about the suit and acrobatic fighting, I mean, that's just a staple of the any street-level hero, whether it's Batman or Green Arrow or Arsenal or whoever. Um, and jump in and tell me I'm wrong if any at any point. When he says Hell's Kitchen seemed like a cross between Starling City and Gotham's Gotham City, here's the thing you need to know. Hell's Kitchen's a real place in New York City. Correct? Am I right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. So, you know... Uh, and they actually used New York to film. As far as the scene on the docks go, what was being done at the docks, number one, was two different things. These cities have docks. Uh, you, you're not going to get away from storage containers and docks. And and the fact that they were loading up women to be carted off basically into human trading, uh, and, and he stopped that, you know, I thought it was really what I thought Batman Begins as well. I had a Batman Begins kind of flashback there. But at the same time, um, it was done a little bit differently. It wasn't it wasn't quite as dramatic as, as that first time that Batman goes out as Batman, you know. Um, but at the same time, it was it was a good way to introduce that particular character, I thought. So um now yeah, that- that scene like basically washed away Ben Affleck for me. Just that one fight scene. <laughs> you didn't like the Affleck Daredevil? Uh not not so much. I haven't revisited it though. I haven't seen it since probably when it came out. So you never saw the director's cut? I have not. The director's cut does a lot to make that movie better. Um I I didn't dislike it. I think it's a great example of what was happening in superhero movies during the during the early renaissance of superhero films from around the time of X-Men right on through X-Men hit. It was fairly successful. X-Men two blew everything out of the water. Of course, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire was just, I mean, it blew the doors off of theaters. You know, people were just so over the moon about, of course, Spider-Man two. And so when, so all these companies that had the rights, the film rights of these characters started jumping in, like, we got to do this, we got to do this. And it's, and it's only a matter of time, it seems like, before someone gets it wrong. You know, before someone does something just a little bit off. But what was in at the time was that wire work fighting style. You know, they the over-the-topness of it all. And so you have Bullseye doing it, which I thought Colin Farrell was great as Bullseye. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, there's so many questions. Like, he killed a woman sitting on a plane. And uh, no idea what came of that. I always wonder how these assassins just kill people and they never really worry about it. You know, it's like, do people not come after assassins? What happens there with assassins like Bullseye? (laughs) You know, he's just killing people willy-nilly and it's like, do they know it's Bullseye and they just can't catch him? What's what's the deal with Bullseye? Um, But I dug it and there are some storylines that don't make sense until you see the director's cut. The director's cut has a lot more of him... And Foggy, you know, working an actual case that ties into the Kingpin and everything. Um, so that when he's standing there over the Kingpin and says the words out on who the Kingpin is, um, you know, it, it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, let's talk about Fisk's characterization in Daredevil for a second, Tad. Um, I I was a little put off initially by, his, by this character. The... The, the man childishness of it was weird to me. Um, you know, he ascended 
he is obviously from you know those origins of his like, when they get into his backstory and you know his family history and everything the the ascension to power that he has is so he should there's there's a lot that he wears openly as far as his emotions and his his social anxiety that if he's going to to be the powerful person that he is should have been taken care of a long time ago it seemed like to me um and as far as being whipped man when he meets that woman in the comics he is whipped so Yeah, I, I enjoy. I haven't read the the uh, Daredevil comics yet, so um, I didn't have a lot of point of reference to mm-hmm. that. But I enjoyed him a lot. And I like Vincent D'Onofrio. I think he's a great actor. And but I can see what you're saying. I, if it doesn't match up with the comics, that's just something I didn't have going in. So I really enjoyed what he did to the, with the role. Yeah. The, listen, here's the thing. Couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Uh, you know, I had to get over that. This isn't the kingpin that I always knew from from the comic books but once i did i was on board you know and and i think it's an interesting take on the character i think that it is it is a character with room to evolve into the wilson fisk we know and by that last episode he's kind of almost there um but they also do something with him that marvel's been criticizing their movies for tad they make him a compelling villain and Marvel's been criticized for not having compelling villains except for Loki. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm glad they didn't kill him because I think like uh, uh, Obadiah and Iron Man, I, I really wish he would have stuck around because oh he was a great villain. Oh, I just love Jeff Bridges, dude. Yeah, the dude. You know, yeah, just oh, I just love him. I, I think he's great. Um, Karan goes on to say, next up, Terminator. Have you seen the new trailer? I have to confess I was excited about the direction I thought they were taking after the first trailer, but this next one, it disappoints me. I feel like of all the change you can make, you just shouldn't touch John Connor, and that's exactly what they did, making him seem like the antagonist in this one. He's not a man. He's not a machine. I don't know what he is. Not that excited about it as I was earlier. Yeah, that second trailer completely got by me. Uh, Derek showed me we were uh, we were recording one night, round three, and after we got through, we were talking, and he, he pointed me in the direction of that trailer, and I was just like, this totally got by me somehow, that that John Connor's apparently going to be the villain of this movie. <laughs> yeah. They kind of lost me with that trailer. I was like, I, I didn't necessarily like it going in. I'm a big Terminator fan, but like when they first announced it and they were going to have old Arnold, it didn't make sense to me, but the first trailer won me over and the second one kind of pushed me away. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how you make John Connor like a robot, you know, or a, a Terminator basically. I don't know if that's what he's going to be, but. Yeah, uh, it's well. He's not a robot. He's not. He's not a machine. He's not a man. I hear. I hear Obi Wan in my head. He's more. He's more machine now than man. Twisted and evil. Um, yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm probably going to end up seeing this after it's on like iTunes or something. Um, I've been criticized in the past for having said that I was kind of relieved when Terminator: Sarah Conacher, Sarah Conacher, Sarah Connor Chronicles ended. Uh, just because we were so busy with podcasting at the time, and it was a different, I, and and my job was more of a full time job, and I just didn't have the time, and so there was a little bit of relief there, even though I love the show, um, and the Terminator franchise, though I love the franchise, is not something that's like, oh, I got to get out of the theater and see this, um, but I'll tell you, it looks good, and I may, I may actually end up in the theater watching this. I don't know. It just, you know, it just depends. Um, 
Karun goes on, speaking of excitement, my man Bruce has been making waves. Tell me, Steve, do you bleed? I freaked out over the Batman 5 Superman Dawn of Justice trailer. I'm reading it the way he typed it, everybody. Sorry, teaser. So hard you wouldn't even believe. The chanting that said, go home. Lex saying devils don't come from the hell beneath us. They come from the sky. People literally worshipping soups. The image of the false god. By the way, Ben looks B.A. as Batman, though Cavill looks darn huge in that scene where he's lifting the rocket. Then came that scene from Comic-Con. I just love this trailer. It's not your typical superhero movie where you're introduced to the villain, immediately hate them, and then the hero beats them. I'm looking at you, Marvel, except Winter Soldier. I think Snyder has put a lot of thought in this movie. I do believe this is how people would react if Superman were to arrive, or to arrive in this day and age. For your sake, I hope he holds the camera steady this time around. <laughs> what are you thinking about the old Batman v Superman stuff, Tad? I know that you're more of a Marvel geek. Yeah, I'm more of a Marvel fan, and um, the did they did they leak that trailer? Because I I remember mm-hmm. I saw it in my hotel at well, Summer Celebration. Here's so. the thing: they the day of the first. The first day of Star Wars Celebration, and the world was just going nuts over Chewie were home. That evening, the trailer leaks like a like you know a cam a cam a handheld cam version of it from a theater. It leaks out and and makes the rounds. So Warner Brothers goes ahead the next day and just releases it online. And I told I told Derek I said, look, dude, I watched it. I'm like, okay, great. My problem was is I was on a Star Wars high. And when Star Wars has me soaring high with Star Wars, it's hard for anything to to look or feel good at. You know what I'm saying? Like like I just watched it, I'm like, okay, well there that is. And and so it didn't get a fair shake for me because I was still rewatching and rewatching and rewatching that Force Awakens trailer. Looking forward to seeing a Rebel Season 2 trailer and all the other stuff and just I was so honed in on Star Wars that that it just didn't matter to me. So it really tainted my first viewing of it. And I I haven't really I haven't really liked anything I've seen as far as like coming out of Suicide Squad and that sort of thing where nothing's really just revving my gears the way that like the Flash TV show does. And so uh so it's one of those things that I just hadn't really talked about that much. Um yeah, I'm totally with you. Like, maybe I kind of assumed it was maybe because I was at Celebration, so I was just, like, super, like, into sure. Star Wars. yes. But then I think I heard you say that before, and I'm like, okay, so I wasn't the only one. No, no. And and I do hope he holds the camera steady this time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I think it's uh, kind of, it can be utilized, but I think it, a lot of times it's, uh, like, corner-cutting cinematography. You know, like, a lot of times it might make it a cheaper effect to shake the camera. So I think sometimes it's like lazy filmmaking. Well, in, in some ways for sure. I, you know, it obviously the handheld format is, um, is not that, you know, it's not as easy as having a camera on a tripod. I wouldn't imagine, but at the same time, it's this artistic vision and I'm using my quote fingers there. Dink, dink that says, well, you want to feel part of it. You want to feel right up in the action. I don't, you know, my head doesn't shake and wobble when I'm watching something in real life. You know, if two people are fighting and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting back watching them fight, I can kind of tell what's going on because I'm watching it happen. And the same thing with comic book movies. And I said this with Arish uh, when we were talking about Avengers Age of Ultron, that for me, when I read comic books, you know, the the thing about the art of comic books is when you're looking at a panel, 
you're reading the dialogue, you're seeing the action that's taking place. And you can pull back, you're looking at the whole, and there may be, you know, the way a, an artist or a writer chooses to do a reveal through several panels or whatever the case may be, but eventually you're going to see everything in one shot or you're going to be able to kind of tell exactly what's going on because it has to be communicated through the artwork. And when you when you decide to use the handheld camera and, and, and let it be kind of shaky and, and a little bit off-putting, in a comic book movie, you're kind of, not doing the genre right to me and and so that you know that's kind of been my point with the handheld cameras in uh in superhero movies i thought it was done very effectively in winter soldier because one it wasn't like they they digitally added extra shakes the way that it seemed to happen in man of steel but two there were moments where it did pull out and you did get to see that that fight with um uh captain american batrock the leaper at the beginning uh, they get in close and tight some, but then there's a moment where they pan back and, and literally the camera is on a track. It has to be. And they fight from, uh, the left of the screen to the right of the screen and the right of the screen back to the left screen. And the camera just follows them all the way across the deck of that ship. And it's just a great, beautiful shot with a lot of stuff happening. So, um, so I do listen, I want Batman V Superman to be awesome. I want it to blow my mind. My butt's going to be in the seat for it, and um, and I'm excited about what this means maybe going forward. There's been uh, footage leaked from the filming of Suicide Squad, you know, where Affleck, we find out, is not just in Batman v Superman. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. Um, but apparently there's at least a cameo or some, maybe a flashback or some such in Suicide Squad with with Batman. So it's going to be, you know, I'm looking forward to it, but it's a year off. We got Star Wars on the way. Uh, wasn't it originally uh, going to come out the same day as uh, Civil War? Yes. Well, it was originally going to come out this summer, and it got oh. back, it got backed up a whole year. And uh, and yeah, then it was then it was posturing as who's going to move off that one date because they were both going to open the same day, and Warner Brothers blinked. Didn't uh, I thought I had seen an interview with Kevin Feige where he basically said that no one film, you know, is like, like I guess like he said we weren't we're basically not going to move it because we're not leaning on one film success. Basically, we're doing a bigger thing. You know what I mean? Right. I right. swear there was like an interview where he said something like that, and then yeah. like within a week, uh, Warner Brothers moved their movie. <laughs> well, they and like I say, it's because they'd already moved it around. But 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 I think what you're going to see are DC movies coming out fast and quick and heavy pretty soon fast and furious almost said um but i've also kind of heard rumors of the way they're doing the writing over there is they're just letting a lot of people do treatments and they'll take bits and pieces from what they like and kind of mishmash them together and get one script writer to kind of tighten it all up and it just seems to be a little bit a awkward way of writing movies to me um so I don't know if there's any truth to that. I heard I, I, I heard Kevin Smith talking about it on Fat Man on Batman. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, you know, looking I'm still looking forward to it. I'm just not super stoked and that and that trailer honestly didn't do anything to get me super stoked. Like I like I wish it would. Uh let's get a little more recent here, um, before we close out the mailbag. Um coming on up here. Uh, to an email that we got from Alton. Uh, 
uh, from Plano, Texas. Alton says, Hi, Steve. Just finished listening to your episode on the 35th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. It's my favorite of the original trilogy because it's the most dramatic, and the color of the movie is amazing, especially the scene where Luke meets Darth Vader in the freezing chamber. Every time I watch it, it takes me back to when I was 10 years old, watching it the North Park 1 and 2, back when people stood in long lines that wrapped around the movie theater. I remember my dad took me and we had to sit in separate seats because it was so packed. It took me a while to get used to Yoda because every time I heard him speak, I kept I kept thinking of Grover from Sesame Street. Same thing here. Uh, but over time, I saw him as the powerful Jedi he's known for. Like you, most of my action figures from Empire Strikes Back, and I was wondering if you kept your action figures in a Darth Vader collector's case like I did. Tad, I don't know how old you are, and I don't know if you ever did any Star Wars collected back in the day. But uh, if you had action figures, you kept them in a Darth Vader collector's case. <laughs> yeah, wasn't there a C-3PO one as well, right? There was, and I never had that. But, man, I had the Darth Vader one. Yeah, I'm a little bit younger. I uh, was actually playing with a lot of the uh, toys from the 90s. But I actually inherited my dad's Darth Vader. So, to this day, I still have one packed nice. with all my favorite like toys, I guess, from Star Wars. Yes, sir. Um he goes on to say, I also remember having the trading cards. It was the first set of cards I ever had. I used to always read the trivia questions they had on the back of some of the cards. I also used to have the audio cassette tapes of the trilogy that were taken from the movie along with a color photo album. This was before the movies were released on videotape, so it was a great way to remember the Star Wars trilogy. I'm glad there are other people out there that feel so passionate about Star Wars and listen to your podcast. Reignited my love for the original trilogy once again. And that's from Alton. Alton? 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 Alton from Plano. Um... And Michael Fletcher chimes in, and he says, Because I'm at work, and what else is there to do? I feel the need to offer an opinion about the buzz droids in Episode 3, inspired by your discussion on Goal 138. So, in the Clone Wars series, we see Anakin use the Force to blow buzz droids off his Starfighter. I have to believe this was in in Season 5, the final Ahsoka arc. However, upon rolling his ship to expose the underbelly, Ahsoka discovered that his ship was covered beyond help. Given this experience, maybe it became clear to Anakin that using the Force to remove them wasn't a surefire solution, so he didn't bother with it again. In the heat of battle over Coruscant, maybe he recalled that experience and simply chose to do things the Anakin way by using his Starfighter in creative ways. As for Obi-Wan, maybe he and Anakin got to talking, or he simply didn't think of using the Force. He does hate flying, after all, and he seemed pretty rattled when he realized the ship was being torn apart. Probably just slipped his mind. Even Jedi Masters are bound to make mistakes every now and then, right? Love the show, by the way. And that's from Michael Fletcher. Fletch, as it were. Yeah, that was a conversation we had about Sith. And I think the idea is, Tad, and, and, and let's talk about Jedi Force powers for a minute. I think the idea is focus and concentration. And in the heat of the moment, uh, sometimes, especially in battle, it's hard to focus and concentrate. <laughs> Yeah, I think we kind of see that in episode two when Yoda has to kind of stop the fight to grab that beam to save Anakin and Obi-Wan. That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think maybe just kind of the heat, like maybe they would have to basically stop paying attention to, to flying to do that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, you blew my mind with that because I don't know why I never thought about that oh, watching yeah. the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. I forget who brought it up. I think Erish brought it up and I was just like, I don't. I don't know why, what, shut up, Eris, you know, that was kind of that thing. Because that, to me, it always seems like you can't immediately go to a force push, or you can't immediately go to that because of what it takes to concentrate on what you're doing. I mean, they had the mission going, they were dodging lazy, lazy, 
laser fire. They were, you know, they were, they were trying to get to the chancellor. Everything that's happening, and so then the buzz droids become a, a problem. But after gotten all about that part uh, in Clone Wars, and you'll get there. There's a scene with the buzz droids. Anakin does blow them off, and then it just cuts the underbelly, and it's a, it's kind of freaky because they're really just crawling all over his Jedi starfighter, and um, and there's just too many, and he can't do anything with it. So um, we've got a ton more emails but uh we're gonna let them go at this time uh and and put them off to the next time or some other time uh and and we're gonna get into some snippets we've got a lot to talk to tad about but before we do uh want to remind you of our sponsor audibletrial.com slash geek out audible.com is your place to go for uh audiobooks audio entertainment it's a premier provider you know audible.com premier provider of digital audiobooks with over 150,000 titles to choose from in every genre and they play on iphone kindle android all kinds of devices for listening anytime anywhere and right now you can get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook download by heading over to audibletrial.com slash geek out now we have the goliverse book club that meets every month with the father of the book club bald-headed rod and uh coming up in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about heir to the jedi star wars heir to the jedi it's uh it's an interesting novel but we'll talk about it as we get there but then next month we'll be talking ready player one and if you haven't read ready player one what are you waiting for? Use your free credit at audibletrial.com slash geekout and download Ready Player One. It is read by Will Wheaton, and it is fan-freaking-tastic. I loved everything about this book, and I can't wait uh, to have Rod on to talk about it next month and to have your calls as we discuss Ready Player One. And you guys better be ready uh, in July to talk some Ready Player One with me. So... Um, audibletrial.com slash geekout get your free 30 day trial and your free audiobook now by heading that way and now it's time for the snippets snippet Tad, you went to Sundance. I did. Is this your first? Was this your first time going to Sundance Film Festival? This it year? was. Sadly, I don't know. I'm a huge movie fan, mm-hmm. but I don't know why I've never gone before. But actually, last year, um, I had some friends that they go all the time, mm-hmm. and I mentioned something to them. So we went to the like they do a thing called Best of Fest, which is like in conjunction with Salt Lake City. After the right. it's ended they'll play like whatever the best movie was. And last year it was whiplash okay. with, uh, uh, Jameson from Spider-Man. Yep. Yep. Jake. <laughs> and, uh, I went to, with them to that and I was just like hooked. I mean, that's, uh, I mean my buddy, she goes like, she's gone like 13 years in a row. She said it's the best she's ever seen. So I hold my expectations lower than that. But this year I decided to go. So I went through all the jump through all the hoops to get on the waiting list and stuff like that and buy tickets and, drive up to park city <laughs> like i worked 40 hours that week and then i probably spent another 20 or 30 <laughs> between driving and watching movies so what is what is the deal i mean are you just all over town is it all over park city and you're just going from theater to theater is there a central location where everyone's at 
Um, I think it used to be centralized, mm-hmm. but I think to grow it, they've actually spread it out. So there's actually some, most of it's in Park City, but there's some here in Salt Lake City, and then there's some in Ogden, which is um, a little bit further north than Park City is east from Salt Lake. So I actually ended up in all three locations. So there's a lot of driving, but just to spread it out, I think they've done that. What were what were some of the films you saw that, that stuck out to you? Um, I think the best one was The Witch. Um, I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but it was getting a lot of buzz. It's kind of like a uh, period piece set in like okay. the 1700s. Yeah. And uh, it's a horror movie. And it's just like basically like in that Puritan time period. And it's just like it was a pretty well put together horror movie. I'm a big horror fan. So okay. that one stuck out as like probably one of the like better films. Uh, I saw a documentary called Welcome to Leith. I don't know if you've heard of that or heard about the town, but basically it was a small town of like 46 people at the time. And this white supremacist moved there, bought a bunch of land incognito and then started moving a bunch of white supremacists there to basically take over the town in terms of votes. So this is a documentary basically showing, you know, like basically this town being hijacked by white supremacists. Basically they're, playing the system because you know in a democracy whoever whoever has the numbers has the votes you're so. saying it's welcome to where leith uh it's in uh oh it's north carolina or, or no not carolina north dakota i'm sorry uh it's l-e-i-t-h oh wow it's up kind of like and so the other thing is because there's a lot of oil fields around there so these white supremacists were basically able to get their guys jobs on oil rigs making 50 60 thousand a year so they were able to basically sustain themselves fairly well while taking over the town so okay so this is in north dakota notorious white supremacist craig cobb wow film yeah he's like the top white supremacist he like if you look up like I think if you Google top white supremacist, his name is one of the top dudes that comes up. He's kind of nasty. Wow, man. That's, that's crazy. That, yeah. I mean, actually, like, like it, it I, was, I feel it, like, it, I feel like the guys were almost putting their lives on the line to do. Yeah. It, it was kind of interesting. Um, they did, uh, I guess some of the stuff that made it kind of almost uncomfortable because it's easy to, I think to paint people as just these two dimensional characters, mm-hmm. but um, they, equally spent time with the white supremacists doing this as they did the townspeople to give you a good, like both sides of it. Right. And I found one of the most like uncomfortable parts is seeing these white supremacists at home with their family, you know, cooking for their kids and basically seeing them as humans, like, <laughs> cause it, it kind of blows away that two dimensional, mm-hmm. you know, cartoon villain that you have in your head right. away to see these people in real life, basically. It's crazy. That's crazy. So you had witch, you had welcome to Leith. Anything else you saw? Uh, oh, one other thing about that, too. Oh, okay. So then uh, what they did is it, the other interesting thing is um, that was actually screened in a uh, synagogue <laughs> up in Park wow. City. So that's one of the uh, venues that offers up their theater. So wow. and then they're <laughs> then the uh, guy that was hosting it was actually a Muslim. So they're watching white supremacists hosted by a Muslim in a synagogue, in a Jewish synagogue. Dang, that's awesome. <laughs> and then. I'm sorry to interrupt, um, but the uh, the other thing is they actually at the very end they said they're going to have a Q and A, but they didn't say who, and via Skype as a matter of fact, uh, Cobb himself basically came in and it got kind of ugly actually. What? I'm yeah. wait a minute. This dude showed up at the synagogue v- via Skype. Via Skype. Okay. Yeah, I think he's kind of underground a little bit i think um he's trying to keep a lower profile he's mostly online he does a lot of internet 
stuff now. So wow. But yeah, so that showed up and it was like, honestly, I kind of heard like rumors in the line. So like the whole movie, I was like trying to think to myself, what would be a good question? And I honestly, I couldn't think up of one, you know, like it's like these people are so like corrupted in their thinking that it's like, you know, he's just going to spew, you know, his venom. And then I couldn't get it word in edgewise. The crowd is fairly uh, upset and screaming and swearing at the screen and stuff like that. So. But I actually found it effective because I think when you watch a movie, even if even if it's a documentary, it could feel abstract. And I think what the filmmaker did with that is they made everybody in the theater kind of come face to face with what this town had faced, basically. Mm. You know, like it's no longer abstract when he's basically listening to your words, basically. So that's wild. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. Um went to another one that was didn't impress me as much the it's called stockholm pennsylvania the premise of it sounded interesting it's basically a little girl gets kidnapped and uh she gets raised by her kidnapper you know i think she was like two or three and then eventually they catch the guy and return her like and she's like a you know late maybe in her late teens and she goes back to her family and basically she's all she knows now is the kidnapper so it's kind of like a stockholm syndrome type thing but the execution of the movie overall just wasn't very – it didn't impress me too much. Right. But it was a cool idea, I guess. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then there was another one. The uh, I guess the last one would be Zipper. And it was actually – it's about um, basically this politician that has it all. You know, young family. He's a politician. He's young. He's hot in like the political circles. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's being talked to about running for president in the next elections. But then he decides – I somehow he was a – uh, district attorney and someone brought him in and he ended up meeting a, a high-end escort and somehow he basically goes down this dark rabbit trail of starts using the service and it's kind of just like almost you know like this look at psychologically like why would these people that seemingly have everything throw it all away you know their family their kids their career basically mm-hmm. and it was it was it was a it was a fun movie it had a decent cast i'm kind of blanking on who it was now but um it's kind of some of those that that guy or that lady movies where you're like oh i know that guy or i know that right lady. right right so it, it was fun and that was actually turned out to, it was like an 11 30 show but it turned out to be the premiere so they had cast there as well and stuff so it was kind of cool, cool. Uh, ray winston was in it i know that's one name that does jump right. to mind yeah it's so it's it, uh, cool to see him it sounds like kind of a dark version of pretty woman yeah, yeah, kinda. <laughs> the yeah. bizarro pretty woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was okay because I, I I find it interesting, you know, like every time these politicians or you know even in some cases these pastors, you know, get get caught doing these things. It's just like whoa, like I don't I don't get it, you know. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, this dude, you know, in the film, kind of go down that dark side path and sure. basically blow up his life. Right, right, yeah. Um, so what is the overall experience? I mean, like. You emailed us on on one hand about sitting in on on the Jake Roberts Q and A at that, at some point. Jake the Snake oh, Roberts. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That, that was uh, actually Slam Dance. That's a oh, that's Slam thing Dance. That, yeah, that gets ran parallel to mm-hmm. uh, Sundance. Basically, a lot of movies that don't make Sundance do Slam Dance instead, and it's all up there in the same areas and stuff. So I forgot about that one. But yeah, I went to that, and that was really cool. I definitely recommend seeing that whenever it becomes available i mean whether you're a wrestling fan or not i think if you're if you know anybody that's ever dealt with addictions or that kind of thing or struggles like that i think it's definitely worth watching 
And it was kind of cool, just the fanboy or the, you know, the, the mark in me to see, you know, Scott Hall and Jake the Snake and DDP, you know, like in the flesh, I guess, not yeah. in an arena, but in a small, it was like a small conference room too. There was mm-hmm. maybe a hundred people there oh, total. Wow. So that's cool. That's cool. Um, so it, it, are you going to do Sundance again? Do you think? Yeah, I think I am. I think up next year I'm going to just kind of tucker away some pennies here and there and get the whole pass rather than buy individual tickets. Okay. It's a little bit more expensive, but it gives me a lot more access, and I'm probably just going to take a vacation from work because <laughs> I think I almost killed myself with between the hours of working and then doing all that craziness. So sure, sure. I'll probably just take the week off next next year and just immerse myself in it. Um, well – it sounds really cool. It's, it, you know, it's not anything. I don't think I've ever known anyone or talked to anyone personally who's been to Sundance or Slam Dance for that matter, you know, or any of these festivals. So it's it's really cool. And, and I'm going to expect a uh, report. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, we got another snippet. Whoop-a! Uh Celebration, man. You were not only at, Slam, at Sundance and Slam Dance, you were at Star Wars Celebration. Out in uh, out in California, how was that? Uh, it was fantastic. It was my first celebration. Um, I actually remember back in was it ninety nine with the first one, trying to convince my dad to go because he's we're both huge Star Wars fans. And it's one of the things we share, and it was like it's in Denver, we can drive and stuff. But it never ended up happening. Which, from what I hear, maybe it's a good thing because it wasn't that great. <laughs> but you know, like I was younger, so it was kind of hard. And then like as I got became an adult, it's like. I don't know why it's just something I never did until this year when the uh, Europe one happened. I was actually watching the streaming because I'm like, I'm going to the next one no matter what. Right. So I was like basically watching for that, that last panel to see where am I reserving my hotel at? So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of come, you know, you know, hell or high water. I was going to make it. So, and I did, and it was just, it was incredible. Um, A lot of people, they just announced it was 60,000 people. I don't know if that's normal, but it was definitely crowded. Right. Well, um, yeah, that 60,000. I was hearing, I went to Celebration 3 in Indianapolis, and I was hearing that there were like 50,000 people there on the Saturday. Um, and so, but now those numbers seem to be kind of deflated and saying, no, this is the biggest one ever. And um, But, dude, it was... I mean, just watching the coverage in one hand made me sad. On another hand, made me happy because I just, I never want to miss it. I'm like you now. I never want to miss another celebration again. I've been to three, five, and six uh, were the celebrations I went to. Uh, One in Indianapolis and then the other two down in Orlando. Um, And this was huge. I mean, this had all the episode seven buzz around it and everything. What uh, you've got, you have here in the notes, you've got some stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went to the Rebel Force radio party um, to start. So that was like kind of, you know, I left here in Utah early in the morning. I drove. So I wanted to make it early because I had to pick up my badge from the people and then go to the RFR party. So that was really cool to see, you know, some names I've seen in the uh, message boards or the Facebook groups now. And, you know, to meet, you know, I met Jimmy back, but I didn't meet Jason. He was fashionably late to the party. So. Uh, but yeah, so I also met um, Shaz Bazaar, mm-hmm. and um, I, I'm probably kind of his brother, but they were hosting the party, basically. Right. They had put it together, and I met both of them, and they were both, you know, awesome guys. Um, I'm terrible with names, but it was funny. They both remember, remembered my name throughout the night. They kept talking to me and stuff, and 
Um, you know, I, I had left cause I kind of heard rumors about the line for the JJ panel. So, and I was like, you know, I was definitely going to make it into that place. So I can't remember. It was maybe an hour before the party ended. Mm-hmm. I was walking over to the convention center to see what was going on. And Shaz basically said, Hey, Ted, how you doing? And I, and, you know, told him what I was doing. He's like, okay, cool. Good luck. And I ended up basically going and sitting in line because there was already <laughs> hundreds of people. I hear you. So, um, but I guess that's the setup because then I, because I don't know if you heard he did a Hondo costume. Yes. Yes. So I've, I've only seen a couple episodes with him so far. So I don't have the love for that character yet because I, I, I have a feeling there's a lot more to him than what I've seen so far. So, well, you, how, how far into Clone Wars are you? I'm getting toward the end of the first season. Okay, I think yeah. I've seen an episode or maybe two with him. Yeah, I think he was just in two where they where they were pirates and they kidnapped uh, Dooku and then they kidnapped Anakin and Obi Wan. Yeah, and so yeah, and so he's a little bit he's a little bit shifty there. We'll, you'll see him again in season two, but where he really comes into his own are in those later seasons, season four and five, with the episodes he's in. Um, and and that's where he really gets all his one-liners in that are really funny, where people really learn to love that character is, is from there. So, but anyhow, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. So a few days later, so it's kind of out of out of mind, you know, the RFR party. This is like whatever day the uh, Rebels premiere was. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and stood in line for that as well, and that was actually the second long, longest wait I had. I ended up spending... Oh, I don't know. It must have been close to 10 or so hours in line for JJ. I think I spent about four hours in line for the Rebels premiere. Okay. So right. I was in line for that and stuff. And then when they like, so they had us in this small room and at a certain point they started turning people away and stuff. And it was kind of crazy because like people were trying to sneak in. So they got to the point where they ended up roping off the whole third floor of the convention center and, you know, getting closer to showtime because they were worried people would try to sneak in somehow. So... They had roped off the top floor and they started moving us in. And there was a couple people on the outside. Like they put up a red rope type thing mm-hmm. leading us into the digital stage. And I saw someone dressed as Hondo and everyone knows. I heard some people, oh, I'll let Hondo in and stuff like that. And as I got closer, I swore he said, oh, hi, Tad, like under his breath, kind of. <laughs> and it absolutely like tripped me out because I'm like, how, like, did he say Tad? Like, who? like, how would this guy know me? And come to find out, he did say Tad. <laughs> Yeah, he did. So, yeah, it was actually a few days after Celebration that I had seen it. I can't remember if I saw a tweet or if I heard something on RFR or something where they mentioned him and then it dawned. Oh, OK. So he did know me and he did say my name. But, yeah, going in to have Hondo saying hi to me was kind of mind blowing and perplexing. But I got to the root of the thing there. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So, that, yeah, that was fun. And the the Rebels, I can't wait to see it again. Oh, my like, gosh. What is it? This month, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. So you saw, so you were at the premiere then, and you saw the premiere, and uh, how, how? I mean, don't spoil anything. Oh no! I, I mean, I don't even, not. don't even, don't even broach spoilers. But just, <laughs> just to react, how was it? It was awesome. It, I mean, the digital stage was huge. It was the only time I was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of people. Um, the only thing that was kind of a bummer is after standing in line for four hours, the uh, first. The like the very front portion was like reserved for I guess media and stuff like that. Right, right, right. So it was kind of a bummer to be you know back a ways. You know, I figured maybe put the media people in the back, but sure. maybe that's just me as a non media person. Well, I'll tell you, as a media person, <laughs> back in uh, back at Celebration Six, we went down to um, we we were we got to sit down on the front for the season five premiere of Clone Wars when they were showing the Clone Wars season five premiere. 
and um yeah i i forget you people (laughs) and listen that was the only time that the media pass got you anything worthwhile um so being there and so uh but yeah it you know it's just one of those things you got to have people able to report on this stuff because what they wanted for people to blog it to to talk about it to really get the buzz going but and everything that i've heard has some great buzz going with it so yeah so it was really cool. Um, I, I really enjoyed seeing um, the kids mm-hmm. when it came to Rebels. Um, I just love Star Wars as a thing that, you know, as you know, I think almost primarily for children to start. You know what I mean? Right. And um, to see the every time I saw like a, a Rebels cosplay, which was I only saw maybe half a dozen of them total. Like every time I saw them, though, the, like I heard kids go crazy, like kids sure. were drawn to it. I, remember, I was kind of toward the front of the second line, so I was kind of as people were coming in the door, I was right there by, right in front of them. Mm-hmm. And I, there was even a few parents where they they kind of saw the line and they're like asking their kid, "Are you sure this is the room you want to be in?" And every <laughs> you know, in every case, the kid's saying, "Yeah." One even had the uh, toy of uh, um, Ezra's lightsaber oh, on his nice. belt. <laughs> nice, and I was I, I told the lady just in a friendly, "Oh yeah, uh, trust me, this is where he wants to be." So I love seeing the kids just totally stoked. And I actually had a kid in front of me that couldn't like like because everything was level. So the kid was like not standing up, but he was on his seat to where the bottom portion of the screen was blocked by his head. But right. I couldn't hold him. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I, I couldn't like be mad at him. It's like it's this is for him. And, right. you know, he was stoked. And, it's you know, a few times he started bouncing around and stuff like that. All excited. So <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. It was really cool. And. Um, I didn't see the I didn't get the first panel, so I didn't see the trailer. So all I've seen is the episodes I heard, mm-hmm. you know, like they, you know, the, I've heard about the trailer. I actually don't even know if I've watched it online yet, but I'm excited for the season and I'm ready. For, I'm waiting for the premiere so I can talk about it because I don't want to spoil anything for sure. anyone. So. Well, I don't want you to spoil anything for me. I absolutely <laughs> um, love, love, love the trailer that we saw and, and I'm loving the show. Rebels. Now you met uh, Pash Lacorn co-host Irish. Yeah. So the the funny story there is, um, I kind of had this little plan to maybe do <laughs> something funny. So the, I actually found uh, up on the third floor there was a uh, there was a vendor that was selling popcorn, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I should go buy some popcorn and then say it to him while offering him popcorn or something. But I did it. I think three times. All three times he wasn't in the booth. So, you know, it was kind of a long trip. So (laughs) I only tried it three times after that. I was kind of done. So that was just my funny story. I did meet him toward the very end, but unfortunately I didn't have my little popcorn gag. So, (laughs) but yeah, it was cool to meet him and see that the booth there. Cause you know, I, I'm a big, I I have been a big EU fan. The way some of the fans are acting now are pushing me away from the whole EU crowd a little bit, but you know, it was kind of cool to see some of those people. And I also found out that Arish was, is pretty uh like a big force behind the uh the or the ebooks of the jw rinsler making right, of books right right have, have you looked at those at all i've uh, yeah the ebooks yeah i've got the i've got the three books sitting right here on my shelf okay and, uh, well the ebooks are awesome because it's like the first time i've seen them utilize like there's actually like sound bites and video clips and stuff like that in the book basically so for ebook people, it's the first time I've really seen like maybe a little bit of added benefit to yes. getting the ebook. Nice. So I, I've I've loved it. I have the Empire Strikes Back one, but yeah, I I said, mentioned something to them, and they said the Irish was a huge person behind that. So 
definitely shout out to him because that's awesome. So you did you ever get to meet him? Yeah, I did. I okay. did right, right toward the very end. All right. So I actually um, said something to him in the chat not too long ago. I think last time he was on about just telling him good job on the uh, you know the digital books because they're amazing. Well, so Arish is an amazing guy. Period. Yeah, we love yeah. Arish around here. <laughs> For sure. At Dark like every Thunder- time I went over there, too, they were like giving away a pen or a free book or something. Oh, so. yeah. Delray <laughs> has a good presence of these things. And and Star Wars readers are passionate fans, man. The fans of the EU, the old EU, the now legends are very passionate fans. And so Delray makes sure they, uh, you know, especially after all, everything had to come to a head with the EU. They, they try to make sure they keep the fans happy and they do a good job. They do a good job. Yeah, I kind of I kind of lost interest in the EU. I felt it was really just buckling under the weight of itself. Yep. You know, I think there was a couple hundred books almost, and it just it was getting to the point where it felt like almost a villain of the week. You know, because it was like every it seemed like every small time period there was a book to fill in that place by a certain point. So I'm really glad they reset things and to make everything canon is like brilliant. You know what I mean? Like I love being able to know that everything in the comics or the books that I'm reading now you know, have influence on the movies. Right, right. Well, or I don't know that they necessarily have influence on the movies, but they at least are not going to be contradicted by anything that comes down the road. Yeah, that's, that's right. There's not going to be any confusion or, or weirdness. And, um, I, I, I dig it because it was a nice way to be able to reset and, and start over because I'm like you, I think the EU had kind of buckled under its own weight um, I remember the early days when you'd walk in there, maybe four or five Star Wars books on the shelf, you know, next to the shelf full of Star Trek books. I'm like, hey, look at those lamos with all that. You know, we're special. <laughs> These are special. And Star Wars books used to feel special when those novels came out. And, and it just got to where it didn't anymore after a while. And, you know, and that's making money and that's fine. You know, capitalism, woohoo. But at the same time, you know, just the the, the, the geek snob side of me that does exist, it exists in us all. I uh, was just like, man, I wish it was still as special as it used to be. Uh, what about, uh, tell me about BB-8. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, so I made it to the JJ panel, mm-hmm. and I was in there for that. And that was just an awesome, like, just a thing, like, in general. Like, the, the the electricity in that room was amazing. I don't know if that translated on the uh, live feed or anything like that, but it was just an electric thing. And just to hear all the characters talk about themselves and stuff like that was really cool. You know, um, Poe Dameron calling himself the best pilot was one of my favorite parts, but the absolute show stealer apart from the trailer for me was when the real BB eight rolled out. Oh my gosh. Amazing moment. Amazing moment. Yeah. I, I, um, I was like overall indifferent towards him. Like I thought it was kind of cool. I assumed it was CG in the first teaser and stuff like that. So to see him roll out there though, in that instant, like he's got a lifelong fan in me. In fact, I am actually debating about even getting a little BB-8 tattoo. I think it would be really fun. I have a Boba Fett tattoo currently, so <laughs> well, <laughs> I love BB-8. He absolutely stole my heart to see him come out on stage. Yes. And- well, I think I don't think you're alone in that, though. I think that he stole everyone's heart when he came out on stage. Um, uh, just the crowd reaction as the thing rolled out there was just... It, it, it's, it's ama- it, it gave me chills as I was watching it live on the live stream uh powered by verizon and um <laughs> and, and 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 i just remember looking i'm like th- th- he has now captured my imagination um let me see if i can pull up the audio of that moment so let's move now from the from robot oh 
We do. We have to bring out one more. One more robot. I'm sorry, I almost wrapped it too soon. <laughs> Giving short shrift to one of the new droids of the Star Wars universe. Please welcome BB-8. As he rolls out, you can just hear the swell of the audience just get louder and louder. It's just... such an incredible moment like everyone kind of cheered and then it dies down a little bit then as he rolls out from the curtain just it gets louder and everyone's on their feet trying to take pictures you know trying to get a, a snapshot of this thing and and he's he rolls out physically on stage rolls out like an autobot would <laughs> and i i'd heard mark hamill uh, a little bit earlier than celebration it said something about it being a puppet and so that was kind of out there, but I kind of vision, envisioned in my head maybe something where maybe a guy would be behind it with maybe two sticks or something and controlling it in like almost a puppet type way. Right. So like I just I and because I'd heard I kept hearing that they're using CG a lot to remove stuff rather than put stuff in. So I don't know why that's just the visual I had in my head. So when he rolled out there, it was just like blew my mind. And I'm I gotta say too, there's two things on my list. There's a full size, awesome looking ba dancing baby Groot, and now there's a maybe a foot tall BB-8. Yeah, I, I will pay anything. They're making the BB-8. Um, they're 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 apparently the technology is so easy that it's definitely going to be a toy at some point that is uh, a working RC BB-8. I don't know that it'll be a foot tall, but somewhere in that range, I would imagine. So. Yeah, it, it was awesome. So, yeah, I'm just a huge BB-8 fan because of that, you know, that event, I guess, that panel. Sure. Well, speaking of Star Wars, man, uh, we got another snippet here. Um, snippet. Han Solo has a wife. It was just revealed in, was it Princess Leia? The, the Princess Leia comic miniseries? Yeah, that uh, there is a Mrs. Solo, a Mrs. Han Solo, and uh, this is this story has taken the internet by storm. And typical to geekdom stories, everyone is freaking out and overreacting. And I say overreacting, Tad. I don't know if you've overreacted, uh, <laughs> but, but I tell you what, let me let me judge you right now. I'm going to judge you. What was your reaction? My reaction was, of course, he has a wife. He is a scoundrel. He's probably got a lot of skeletons in his closet. Yes, well, and you did not overreact. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, listen, I, I haven't read the comic. What I did see appeared to be um, like the last page of, of an issue. And anyone who reads comics knows that when you get a big reveal on the last page of the issue... It's going to be wrapped up sooner than later. This is going to turn into a rom-com situation where it adds more tension between Han and Leia and either the woman is crazy and she's not really his wife or she'll die or or it's all going to be resolved within two months. I guarantee you. It's going to be resolved pretty soon because it's not, it's not that big enough. It's not a real big deal. Or it may be resolved in the first panel of the next issue when Han Solo is like, I don't have a wife, sweetheart. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, 
I uh, it was interesting too. That I saw a small it, like contingent of fans on like Twitter and stuff like that that wanted to link the fact that maybe she was related to Lando in some way because she's black. Right. Oh, and I have Lord. to shake my head at that. It's like how small does the universe have to be? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so it's it's honestly it's non news, but but I've had some emails and some people tweeting and and on the Facebook just asking me to chime in. So that's my chime in. Everyone, calm down. It's it's the nature of storytelling through the comic book medium. It's a nice cliffhanger. It leaves everyone scratching your head. And just as usual, everyone is big time overreacting. So um, we got another snippet. Uh, so it was announced that they're remaking Big Trouble in Little China with all the remakes that are coming around. And I bring this up because I just watched Big Trouble in Little China for the first time like six or seven months ago. It was it it was finally able to stream on Netflix, and uh, it's a really fun little movie. Have you ever seen Big Trouble in Little China with Kurt Russell? Yeah, it's been years, but I watched it a few times as a kid. My dad and my parents in general are really big '80s, you know, people in general. So I lived the '80s through the '90s as well. So yeah, I've seen it a few times. Yeah, it's uh, it was a really fun movie. And, you know, it's an interesting pick to me for a remake because I don't know. I mean, I know this is one of those little cult movies, you know, where people love it, you know, I, but I don't know that it's considered, you know, one of the greatest classics of all time from 1986, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. I don't think it's that. Um, I, but I do think that it, it it's well received by everyone. It's, it's this weird... Because in the in the 80s, man, in the mid-80s, especially with things like Karate Kid and and cartoons in general, like karate was a big thing, and, and, and the, the martial arts were a big deal. And so when you bring in Chinatown, and you bring in like the Asian culture, and you bring in the magic side of things that was going on, and uh, it's just, it's, it's really, you know, it's really just a fun, I mean, it is definitely a product of its time. Um Drew Struzan poster, of course, for the movie. Uh, but it is, you know, it, it. If you've not seen it, you need to. Everything about it is is just eighties and great and just happy times. But having said that, they're remaking it, and apparently, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, is going to be taking on the role of Kurt Russell. Now. How do you feel about The Rock as an actor overall, dude? Um, I I was watching wrestling a lot more back when he started with was it Scorpion King or sure. one of the Mummy movies? That's right. And I, I kind of discredited him a little bit, but mm -hmm. it seems like he's held on and he's had a couple hits. I think he's kind of catching on a little bit more now. Um, I, I don't know if I object to him as much as I just do the the remake in general. I'm not a big fan of remakes. Sure. I think more often than not, they're just cash grabs more than like something that has an artistic like message you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's right. more about oh we got a built-in fan base that'll come see it so we're gonna make right. it and a lot of times it's disappointing yeah so. i i really do think that you know hollywood's in it, it's definitely because look movies are a business and i know it's artistic i know that i understand that i get that it's an art but at the end of the day uh the studios are in business to make money that it's all about making money and it seems like the easy cash grab is to do these remakes, to not worry about taking a risk on original material, you know, but, but to do these remakes of stuff that was either successful or semi, and sometimes they, they remake stuff that wasn't successful at all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but with this, 
I think it's interesting. I dig The Rock. I dig what he brings to the table as as an actor. Um, I dig his role, dude. If you've not seen The Rundown, you need to watch The Rundown. It is it is fantastic in its action goodness. I mean, it's just a it's just a good old school style action movie um, with the comedy thrown in. Was that a uh, more recent one, or was that an early one? This I, is I'm from on that one. I think it was like his first thing after the Scorpion King. Oh, did that have a um, oh Sean William that? Scott? Okay, okay. Who was the uh, bad guy? Uh, Christopher Walken. That's what I thought. Yeah, 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 I did see that one. It's been ages. Uh, but I, did I see love that, that movie. I think it's great. And I've seen other stuff that he's been in. I've just been. I've always been kind of impressed with what he does, and he's only gotten better and better as an actor. And I feel like this would be, depending on how they, you know, do the remake, you know, depending on if they'll do it with the same spirit and the same feel of the original. You know, if they don't try to make it, oh, we we want the the darker, edgier Big Trouble in Little China, or we're really just, you know, it's a send-up spoof of the whole thing. If they'll just do straight up, like, in the very same spirit of that movie with just your, you know, I'm almost a fan. Like, my thing is, if you're going to remake something, remake it. I said with the Ghostbusters thing, if you're going to remake it, that's fine. If you want to cast women, that's fine. But take the exact script, you know, flip the gender roles where they need to be flipped in that script, and just do the exact same script with updated, you know, with what we have today for special effects and that sort of thing, and just roll with it that way. If you're going to remake, have the guts to really just remake. Um, But, of course, you have, you know, screenwriting credits and that sort of thing that have to be done. But uh, but I'm I think it's a pretty cool idea and I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna this will be something I definitely check out. I think. What was the um, What was the movie with the Rock where he was like a cop and he had he was like the the good cop but he dies in the first little bit of the movie. Oh, that Have was. Seen, <laughs> I've only seen that part of the movie. I haven't seen the whole thing. That was. Uh, oh my gosh, what was he that? Jump off a building. He, I can't him and Sam. Him and Samuel L. Jackson jump oh. off a building. <laughs> it's not the other guys, is it? Is it the other guys where they do that? Oh my gosh! Now I've got a now, in the words of the guy at the beginning of uh, of Dirty Harry, I got to know. I got to know. So that brings us to this segment. Let me Google that for you. All right. Let me see here. Um. Yeah, the other guys. They, <laughs> Yeah, because they're like the big time detectives or whatever, and uh, and the Rock runs and him and Samuel L. Jackson are, are running after a a criminal on a roof, and they just both jump off the roof. And I don't know if they die or they didn't hear, but it was it was great. It was <laughs> great, and I love in the. <laughs> wow, that's a funny movie when they're doing the car chase, and he just hits the gas, and he's like America. I'll have to watch it. Like I said, I've only seen that oh, very beginning bit. It's hilarious. It's it's so good. But um, yeah, and there's a scene where Donnie Wahlberg and Will Ferrell are, are walking away from a building and it explodes, and they get blown to the ground and they're just sitting there <laughs> like, "Oh, that was horrible. The heat it burned and it was so loud. I can barely hear anything. All those movies where those guys are walking away. That's bullcrap, man." And Donnie and and uh, Mark Wahlberg's like. Yeah, like in, Re- in Return of the Jedi, when the Death Star blows up, that wouldn't really happen. They could have really gotten away from that. And uh, Will Ferrell <laughs> says, don't say that about Return of the Jedi. Star Wars is scientifically accurate. 
It's just a great little moment, but yes, yeah, the co- uh, the rock is hilarious in that movie. There, that's just a, it's such a weird moment. It's like this is this is some funny stuff. Um, here's an interesting uh, here's an interesting snippet um, that I'm pretty excited to you know talk about a little bit. Or sad, I don't know. I have mixed emotions about this particular snippet. Whoppa. Um. There is a YouTube channel that do kids reacting to old school stuff. Um, I've seen I've seen like one of these where people were reacting to the original Nintendo Entertainment System and uh, and and didn't know what it was. Well, this was kids react to old school Transformers. Um, I, I want to play a bit of this for everyone here, if I can, if it'll play for me. Throwback. The Transformers. I didn't know there was an old TV show. Nine. Autobot sweeps through panels to destroy the. Watch the old Garfield and Friends Month, the old Transformers. Transformers. This song's catchy. I like it. The Transformers. Pikachu just turned into a gun. This is the Transformer my dad used to watch. This is not the the Transformers I know. That was so weird. so kids reacting to old school transformers and it kind of broke my heart to watch this (laughs) this video it's it's so it at one point in the video they tell the kid they're like well this week this actually came out in 1984 and the little kid looks at him like with this amazed look on his face he's like that is so old (laughs) i wonder do do you think it affects kids the fact that like they kind of like when we're talking about the 1900s, you know what I mean? I wonder if that throws them off even more. See, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. This, this is what dawned on me the other day at work. I was, uh, I was sneaking over to, um, where we, where we do the music for the restaurant and, and going to put on an eighties channel on the Pandora station, which I do often. And one of the servers looked at me. He's like, "Are you about to play that oldies music?" I'm like, "No, I'm not playing oldies music. I'm playing some '80s stuff." He's like, "That is oldies music." I'm like, "No, oldies music is like '50s, '60s stuff, dude." And he just looked at me. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Man, back in the day when you listened to an oldies station, it was like '50s and '60s. You know, maybe some '70s." I'm like, and then it hit me. I'm like, "That was 30 years before my time as a child of the '80s. Was were the '50s? It's 30 years since the '80s." And so kids today now look, I mean, I couldn't fathom. It seemed like a whole different era, you know, to live in. And remember back when I was, I don't know if this was the same when we, when you were a kid, you know, but when I was a kid, a lot of like the special events and everything would be like sock hops and they'd do like a fifties night and the girls would wear the poodle skirts and stuff. And so it was like this nostalgia, it was like not even nostalgia thing, but just a look how, you know, look what we're doing. It's unique. And now they're doing eighties nights for kids. And, and I'm like, Oh. And I know there's some younger kids that um, are also like use like dressing '80s style as yeah. like a, you know, as like a vintage thing. Yep. Oh, <laughs> breaks my heart. It's so funny. It's so weird to be a grown up, and to look at that. But those kids are watching that. I love when the one kid just like, did Megatron just turn into a gun? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so like, what does Megatron turn into these days, Ted? Do you know? Um, he's like a jet fighter. 
in the movies, I think. In the I've movies, the in the movies, movie. he's yeah. In the movies, he's like a Cybertronian jet. Later on in the movie, he'll be like a tanker kind of thing. But in the cartoons, I think he's like a tank or something. I don't know. The point is this: it's ridiculous that the kids <laughs> don't understand the greatness of training. And then the and then the one girl. There's one point in the video where they're talking to the kids, and the girl's like, "It makes me angry because I thought they were the originals for us." <laughs> It's kind of like the people that, you know, they don't understand that what they're listening to as a song is a cover. You know, like something from the 80s. That's they don't true. realize that yeah. somebody in the 50s did that song first. That's right. Or <laughs> e- or any cover song, for that matter. If you hear the cover song the first time that you hear someone else do it, you're like, wait a minute. And and then they're like, oh, that was a cover of this song that this person's, oh, well, that's <laughs> weird. Now now everything that I know about life is is completely turned upside down. It's It's a cool <laughs> thing. It'll make you sad and happy all at the same time. Go watch kids react. Uh, to old school Transformers. Snippet! Back to Star Wars stuff, as is our custom here on Geek Out Loud, Tad. Uh, the, this is another thing that I was getting hit up on Twitter uh, about, and, and in fact, I forget who it was, but I mean, just slapping me across the face on Twitter, like, are you going to make a joke about this? There's this. It's time. you got to step in. It's going to be, you know, the time's going to be passed. Is this a... Andy Serkis' character name was revealed on StarWars.com. They did an article about the Andy Leibovitz pictures that were taken for Vanity Fair, and they and they showed a couple that were not actually in the article. And one of the captions was Andy Serkis uh, performing as Supreme Leader or Supreme Commander. I forget which one it is. Snoke. Snoke. How do you feel about that name? Um, I'm first of all, I'm glad he's not Darth anything. Indeed. And I'm also, <laughs> I'm also glad he's not like Grand Moffer. I'm glad it's something that's kind of new. Yeah. See, I don't know. I like, I would have liked Grand Moff. Yeah. I think that would probably would have been okay, but I'm glad it's something kind of different because I'm assuming he's going to be part of the, uh, oh, what is it? The first, is it the first order? I'm yeah. Still the first order. Easy on yep. That. yep. The first order. Or first, yeah. So I, I don't know if it's like may, maybe they're gonna have a different structure. So I'm kind of glad it's something a little bit new. But the name Snoke, I don't know how I feel about it yet. It's a it's a weird. It sounds like something that you would find not even in um, uh, it's not even in the EU, but in in like a, a cartoon of some sort. You know, like a kids' cartoon. Like Snoke sounds like a. It's a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, you may not agree because I, I I will admit I was a little bit too young for GI Joe, but it sounded something like GI Joe to me. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, even the idea of Supreme Leader, yeah, sounds like something from kind of GI Joe ish, you know. Which I'm fine with that, you know. GI Joe is, you know, the old '80s GI Joe, especially with the Cobra stuff. I, I'm fine with that, but it's just uh, Snoke, Snoke. I'm definitely not used to it yet, but I'm going to give it time to grow on me. Because yeah. I, I remember I didn't like Count Dooku at first. I do recall that I didn't like that one. I was disappointed that in the films there was only two mentions of the name Tyrannus. Um, yeah. You know, I love the name Darth Tyrannus, and I feel like it didn't get used enough for Dooku in the movie. So, um, yeah, Dooku was kind of a weird name. Um and then the count, I think that was basically because he played Dracula back in the day. Right, right. It was. It was definitely a throwback to that, but for by George, you know. Um I I'm interested because he's doing this digital motion capture that, you know, Andy Circus is famous for. Um 
I say he's famous for that. He's famous because he's a great actor, but he's really, you know, brought home the idea of this, the, the motion capture stuff is legitimate acting. And um, has he been given an award for any of his stuff before? No, there was a uh, a big hoo-ha last year with the Oscars that they that they needed to be considered. He needed to be considered for like an Oscar, but mm-hmm. the rules don't allow it currently. So I think there's actually kind of a push to either count them as actors or to create a whole new category for maybe acting in a motion capture role or something. Well, no, I think I think they count it. You've got to count it as an actor. Um, yeah, because Caesar, he is amazing. Yes, yeah. Well, Gollum, dude. I mean, right out of the gate, the the role that made him famous, Gollum. You know, and and set him on this digital mocap path, and he's a great actor just on screen anyway. But but, dude, I, and it just makes me wonder what are they doing with Snoke that he needs to be motion captured? You know, it's an it's it's it fires the imagination up. I, I'm actually kind of glad because. I'm a lover of all the Star Wars movies mm-hmm. and like the prequel haters are not necessarily ones I would agree with. And I'm kind of glad that they're using some CG because my first fear was that JJ would focus so much on older stuff right. that it would almost like throw dirt on the prequels a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that we have at least two confirmed yeah. like CG characters. Yeah, and I haven't talked about that on the show. I hadn't really talked about the Vandy Fair article that much at all, but uh, it was revealed that Lupita Nyong'o's character um, is going to be a, a pirate queen, basically. <laughs> uh, Maz Katana. Kanata? Katana. Katana, Kanata. Anyhow, uh, and she's going to be doing the old digital motion capture as well. And I'm I'm looking forward to uh, yeah I, you know what I haven't even thought about what you said there as being as being the truth is that yeah she is you know JJ is definitely using the tools of modern you know that are modern day disposal um, I, I think the idea is the intermingling of it that people want to see um, you know you you don't you don't do a movie today without some CGI even. Even the most basic of movies. I mean, they used to have to paint out things like wires and that sort of thing. It's always been something that's just now computers are used to do it. But to have these digital characters, I think, is a really cool thing. And it shows that, you know, George Lucas was on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I look at, like, uh, what Andy Serkis has done with uh, Spiegel and with uh, Caesar. And I always tell people, like, you could hate Jar Jar, but without Jar Jar, I don't think either of those characters exist, you know, as we know them as a fully realized digital character that interacts with, you know, non-digital characters. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that JJ's doing that. Cause yeah, I, I want to see a, like, you know, I want to see something for everybody. I don't want to see the prequel kids now that have grown up with the prequel trilogy. I don't want to see them thrown out for the sake of, you know, nostalgia. I agree. I agree. I, I, I think that, I think there's been a lot of decisions that Abrams and company have made since coming on to this thing that, that caused me to scratch my head. Just filming on film was weird to me. Um, I don't understand, you know, when you have the ability to, and if that's how Abrams likes to do things, that's one thing. But the other side of things is like it was held as this decision to go old school because Star Wars is old school. And I'm like, but that just, that makes things a little bit harder for what you want to do in a film like this. You know, now you've got, it's going to end up getting digitized anyway. You know, you're going to 
run the film through and 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 copy it digitally it's going to go out to theaters digitally you know that's how it's going to happen um so why not just do it you know why not just film digitally it's okay it's not bad to film something did i don't think i don't know maybe maybe a lot of our video files and stuff and maybe you're a video file and you can tell me chad or tad why it's so bad but I'm rhyming all over the place right now, but uh, I, I think you're right. I'm not a huge like video file of a, of a movie fan, but yeah. um, I think you're right though in the fact that it, the way that like even if it's on film, it's going to be turned into a digital file, and you're going to see it that way in theaters. And then when you get your Blu-ray or DVD, that's a digital file as well. Yep. So I yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't know if it's that like big a deal, but I know there's a big like crusade to save film i christopher nolan is one of the driving forces behind it where they're basically because they're getting to the point now where these companies that make the film itself are they don't think that it's like economically viable so basically they're a bunch of filmmakers now that only use film to basically keep Mm -hmm. film in existence so I kind of heard something with Vince Gilligan that did Breaking Bad where Christopher Nolan had said something to him about emailed him and said something about Breaking Bad being on film. and He appreciated it. But right at that time, Vince Gilligan was doing the new show Better Call Saul. And he was doing it digitally. So he felt like kind of a Judas. <laughs> but he shouldn't. You know, that's the thing. You shouldn't feel bad for doing it that way because it's I don't I don't know. It's it's uh, more practical. I mean, you yeah. could you know, you could do long shots and stuff like that you don't have to worry about running out of film so i don't know i think i i i think digital's fine but yeah well you don't have to check the gate you know you don't have to worry about is the film in the can is it going to be overexposed any of this stuff that you have problems with films it's it's not going to degrade etc you know yeah so um but I, i don't know i mean it just depends and like i say if that's if that's how abrams likes to do it you know it's one thing to have a preference well i just enjoy doing it this way better it's what i'm more familiar with okay fine um but if but if it really was as it was heralded back when it was first mentioned that it's some you know major deal then i i don't know i don't i don't appreciate it so much so well here's our final snippet uh and i don't know anything about this the force awakens (laughs) death survey yeah so i uh I kind of had this just brainwave and um, I'm on a few different like message boards and places where nerds congregate online or geeks, however you prefer to say it. And I thought of the question, um, if one of the main characters in the force awakens were to die, which one would break your heart the most? So, and then I, I got about 350 something votes. So do you have any guesses as to, you know, who maybe is the most loved? <laughs> Now what, I'm I'm confused. What is the it's? Oh, I'm sorry. So like in the Force Awakens, assuming mm-hmm. that someone is going to die. Okay, we're assuming you, know, you as a fan, who would break your heart the most to see? Oh, uh, okay. Who film? would break my heart the most to see die in the film? I think it would break my heart the most to see, um, to see Chewie die, or Luke. That's me okay. personally. So I just wanted to go through the results just because I think they might surprise you a little bit. All right. Now where is this from? I just did it myself. Okay. I just kind of like threw it out there on a few different places and then just kind of, you know, got my piece of paper and, you know, it's not scientific by any means. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. What did we find out? um, So I have seven total, um, you know, character choices and we'll get to the lowest, I guess the least loved with only 11 votes, which is 3% of the votes is C3PO. Okay. (laughs) I guess nobody cares for him. Um, I actually love him more now because Anthony Daniels kind of won my heart as well at Celebration. That dude's amazing. 
So, but, so the question is, is who would it hurt you the most to see die? Yeah. Okay. Like if you're in the theater and, you know, one of these characters dies, which one is going right. to, I guess, get you the most? I got you. All it right. Feels. C-3PO would kill me to see him actually die. That would kill me. Yeah, but he definitely didn't get a lot of love from the fans. Okay. He had a few votes. So, And the next one, this one actually surprised me, the next lowest one with only 5% of the votes is Princess Leia. I can like, see that. I, it wouldn't. I mean, I don't want to say it wouldn't bother me to see her die, but I, I wouldn't. I would honestly be more hurt if three PO died. Yeah, is, is that because like he's in all the movies to this point, or I, is it just because you love the character? I love the character. I think he's hilarious. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got a lot of great moments. Um, uh, th- there's just one line. My friends and I used to rewind it all the time when they're getting ready to go in the asteroid field. Um, 3PO just lets out a but sir and it's just so funny and then of course when they're you know they're kissing he's like I've isolated the negative power coupling and uh, you know just those moments especially in Empire those moments with him are great Um, and it carries over into Jedi of course where yeah it's against my programming to personate a deity Uh, (laughs) those kind of things so so, so, does he even get a single time in Empire Strikes Back where someone's nice to him well, R two's put, well, putting them back together. Oh, that's true. That's true. But in general, he's kind of the punching bag. That's for true. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, but sir thing. I actually had that as my ringtone for text. Nice, nice. I love that too. That him and the asteroid field is one of my absolute yes. favorites. And when he's like, we're getting close to one of those big <laughs> closer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely adore him. And Empire's always been my favorite, even as a kid. I think the the asteroids, the you know the the Hoth was a huge thing as a kid. I loved Hoth. You know, and then mm-hmm. the the duel is one of my favorites. Yes, so, yes. You know, as a lot of people grow older and grow to love it, I don't know why I always loved it as a kid, but I always cheered for the villains too. So oh, okay, you're one of those uh, people. Uh, <laughs> so next, uh, so the third lowest with only ten percent of the vote is actually Luke Skywalker. Wow, I, I think a lot of people are bracing themselves for a Luke Skywalker death. Yeah, because of th- all the talk leading up that he's kind of the Obi Wan of this trilogy, and so I think people may be speculating that he's he's doomed, and so they're bracing themselves for a Luke Skywalker death. Do you think the uh, ring theory stuff is even going to still be in existence though? Like, I kind of assume that if Lucas isn't in charge, I think Luke would die. But I think with JJ, things might be changed a little bit. I think things have changed a lot, and uh, yeah, I won't get into my personal opinions on that, but. Yeah. Do you not, oh, do you not like the ring theory stuff? I love the ring theory stuff, oh, and I okay. love the way that Lucas was telling his stories, and uh, just knowing, you know, that they kind of—I don't know—they threw out Lucas's treatments, but they just really altered everything. I that bothers me. I, I feel like, you know, Lucas gets a bad rap in a big bad way for what was done in the trilogy because when, you know, when you watch Revenge of the Sith, there. Anakin is not forced to go to the dark side. It is, as we talked about on on the last episode, it's his choice. Yeah. You know, he chooses this path. And he is seduced by it. He's seduced by the power to save Padme, but it's all a lie. And he makes the choice. And and for whatever reason, people are like, they they hate on it. They hate on Christensen. Um, and, And there are moments, you know, that could have been better in the prequels. There are moments that could have been better in the original trilogy, you know? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. And I think it's a story, ultimately, and I've maintained this since 1999, the year 2000. I think that people are really uncomfortable with The Phantom Menace, not only because of Jar Jar. I think, you know, I think Jar Jar is just their, their 
their, their whipping boy. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the fact that this little boy that they watch do this stuff and innocent and happy is going to become the worst villain ever in the galaxy. Yeah. And, and, and I think it bothers people to see what they consider weakness. And they wanted BA, they wanted, you know, pulling the arms off of lizards. They wanted someone who was just going to, you know, kick butt and take names all over the place. They didn't want any conflict in this person. When the truth of the matter is, is when you swing back around a Jedi, Vader's full of conflict. Yeah, you know that that what drives him into the darkness is what pulls him out of the darkness, and that is his emotional state. And and so I think you have to see that, and you have to see that not only is this kid, you know, innocent and cherubic in the first in in the Phantom Menace, but he's also because of his upbringing, because of what he goes through, he's also emotionally and psychologically scarred. And um. And and you have you have a man in the person of Emperor Palpatine who just plays off of that, um, and so when I hear well we're throwing you know we're not using Lucas's treatment and Michael Arndt's script and all this stuff it's like eh yeah you know I hope that the structure is still there though you know yeah I'm totally with you because yeah that's been some of the stuff that I've been kind of apprehensive about I haven't been too vocal about it but yeah I'm really hoping that JJ isn't hasn't swayed things too far to be sure. basically about nostalgia. You know, as much as I would love that. I mean, I grew up with the, you know, the originals. So, but I, I think it needs to be for first and fr- primarily a new generation. But then it also has to, you know, pay tribute and make, you know, a movie that the other two generations are going to love. You know, the prequel Agreed. kids yeah. and the original. Yeah, it's there's a challenge before them, sir. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> so you got Luke is in the number three spot. Number five. Number five spot. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a little bit of cheating, and we'll get to that. Okay. Um, but people would. Well, I said three because it's the third name we've mentioned. We're going. Oh, down. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm counting. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm counting sorry. down. Yeah, counting down. Gotcha. So next up, with 12 percent of the vote, is R2D2. R2D2 would absolutely rip my guts out if yeah. he's if he's destroyed. Yeah, and that's why I try to make it clear when I post it too that like not just like blown up and they might get poked back together, but like obliterated to where they're gone for good because yeah. the droids obviously both have been pretty well blown they've been they've been run through the ringer yeah for sure (laughs) so yeah r2 was was up next that um i was actually thinking he'd be a little bit higher but sure (laughs) um and then next up uh with 14 percent is han solo really yeah hmm he's not number one no (laughs) i would have expected him to be number one yeah do you think people are bracing for that one um because of the I whole think Harrison yes I definitely I definitely think so I definitely th- in fact I was talking to someone the other day who I would have never thought would have been a Star Wars fan and he started talking to me about episode seven stuff and I was just looking at him and he's like dude I grew up on the war I mean it was the moment from the end of fanboys you know he's like I love the wars kind of you know moment and I'm like okay and so you know I started to drop some knowledge on him and he was talking about you know the possibility of Han Solo dying and do I think he will? And I'm like, a lot of people think he might, you know, because of what he wanted to have happen in return of the Jedi. So maybe that is a lot of people just bracing for, for that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I've also been hearing that they made it pretty Han Solo centered. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That almost makes me wonder if he's not going to die. He's going to be kind of the primary character. I don't know if they could kill him. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's the point of it. Maybe the point is to, turn all the attention on him so that at the end it hits you in the gut that much more. Yeah, that's true. 
So um, the next uh, spot, since it was actually only six spaces, but okay. you know some people cheated. So there's actually two number twos. All right. Um, the first first one I'll mention with fifty percent, they have equal votes. Fifteen percent of the vote um, is all. All of a lot them. Of, a lot of people that cheated. Just That's a cheat. Yeah. So, but I had a lot of votes. You know, in in comparison to how many votes right. I had total, I had out of three hundred fifty-eight, I had fifty-four say all. So I wanted to count them otherwise. So they don't want to see anybody die. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and then at number two, this is maybe a little bit uh, coy on my part, but I put in the Millennium Falcon, and that got number two. Dude, I'm there. I am so. I almost said that earlier uh, when you asked me because <laughs> I, I and I said from the get go, I said from the announcement of of Episode Seven that if we see the Millennium Falcon blow up, I'm done with Star Wars. Oh wow! I I, I don't hold me to that. <laughs> but that's how passionate I am about the Falcon surviving throughout this this trilogy. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was interesting to me, and like what made me actually put it on the list to start was that in one interview, J.J. Abrams said something about the first teaser that you know the main the legacy character that we saw was the Falcon. That's right. So that's why I actually added. Well, it to the, the Falcon list was especially because of Jedi. The Falcon was always a character, you know. And it's unfortunate that we didn't get to spend that much time with the Falcon in Return of the Jedi. We did with Lando at the helm, you know. And you get the idea that it's not Lando that pulls out of there. It's the Falcon that pulls Lando's butt out of the bacon. Yeah. And the uh, Falcon talks as well, even though we don't hear it. That's right. Yes, it's a peculiar dialect. (laughs) So, of course, that would leave 24% of the vote to Chewbacca. He ran away with the vote. I just don't think that, especially hardcore fans who read Vector Prime and everything, I don't think we can take that twice in one lifetime. <laughs> I remember watching uh, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and that great fight scene where Prime is fighting all the Decepticons in the woods so that uh, Shia LaBeouf can get away. And uh, I guess it's Megatron or someone just comes up behind him and just runs him through and, and Prime dies. I just sat there and I'm like, I had to watch this twice in one lifetime. This is not fair. <laughs> yeah. To, to have to watch Optimus Prime die twice in one lifetime. And and so to to see to have to sit by while Chewie dies yet again, you know, and for reals. Yeah. I'm like not on screen to yeah, see it happen. I, I don't want that to happen at all. Uh but I'm so scared now that he's his name's <laughs> even been brought up. Now, the the one thing I found interesting too is wouldn't it be make it make it harder if Han or Chewie was to die to see the other characters' reaction? And the same thing with R two and three PO. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine if like three PO dies, like how would R 2s disposition be oh for the rest gosh. of the film? Yeah, he would. Or di- you know, ditto with Han and Chewie. How would the other one react? I feel like if if three PO were to die, R two would become the chopper of the. the tr- I mean, I think he would just be grumpy and not give a duke about anything. If if Chewie dies, you're going to see Han completely pull away and just leave. Like, you're just going to see him leave. Yeah. You know, this is... Chewie matters to Han Solo. You know, there's no getting around it. Um, and vice versa. Oh, Han indeed. Was to die. Oh, my gosh. You know, I imagine can't, Chewie's reaction. That would And that would be what would break my heart about that if Han Solo dies and Chewie... And we have to still have Chewie around. Yeah. Because, you know, gosh, I just can't... Just watch Chewie and Return of the Jedi when when Han shows up in the jail cell with him. And the way that, you know, Chewie just grabs him and he's just kind of rubbing his head and he's like, I'm all right, pal. I'm all right. Yeah. You know, and, and but Chewie's just so happy to see him. He runs to him, all this stuff, you know. 
Chewie takes care of Han Solo, and Chewie is the conscience of Han Solo in a lot of yeah. ways too. You know, I, I strongly, strongly believe that the reason that Han comes back at the Battle of Yavin is because of Chewie. I've always thought that ever ever since I was a kid. I just yeah. always imagined that Chewie's the one that talked him into it. Well, that's G level canon in my mind. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, just that conversation taking place, and um, you know, ah, uh, man, I, mm, yeah, Chewie Don would. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. You know, yeah. it's. Do you think, uh, like the the dog element, comes into play with that? I, like a lot of us have dogs and a lot of us have lost dogs in our yeah, life. I know that Chewie was, you know, originally written because of George Lucas's dog, but I never saw him as a pet. I never saw Chewie as a pet. Yeah, neither. I, I'm just thinking it more on the lines of like, it might hit that same note in some people's minds. Like, even though they know he's a lot more than that, but it might draw them back to losing a pet. You know what I mean? Right. I think the character of Chewbacca is for my money in Star Wars the most fiercely loyal and the most you see his range of emotions more than anyone else in that mo- in those movies in some ways you know from his celebrating with the Ewoks when they get the during ATN you always know what Chewie's thinking whether he's scared angry happy sad mad and it's just because he does emote so well you know Peter Mayhew did a great job in that suit doing that thing and uh <laughs> and his when he's coward being a coward in the uh trash compactor yes. is one of my favorite parts of the whole dude thing. The, the double take when luke says something just moved past my leg <laughs> and chewie turns around and looks and they hear something roar and then chewie turns back the door and just starts banging even harder than he was before and when Such the door great... opens and he runs away yeah calls him back and he shakes his head it's it's my favorite i Get love that here you coward and then his cry when they close the door on it. Oh, oh is... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chew- Chewie's like, I think that would be the hardest for me too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I was to have, you know, if I voted, that's probably where I would go. Cause I think that would be all around hard to see Han react, to see it actually happen again. And to live it again, you know, that book, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember loving it overall, but that really got me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a fitting end for the Wookiee warrior Chewbacca as he basically stood on this planet that was, you know, had a moon that was being sucked into it. And he just, he just railed at the moon, you know, and, uh, and stood there because he couldn't get back to the ship and he just stood there defiantly and died in that book vector prime. And, and it really, that painted Han Solo for a large part of the rest of that series. Uh, which was like 45 books long, I believe. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he got pretty dark in that series. Yeah, yeah he did. Um, well, Tad, that's where we close this thing out, man. Thank you so much, not only for your support of the shows, but for just being on tonight and relaying your stories to us about things and stuff and, and just the good conversation, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. We're always glad to hear from you in the emails and in the chats and stuff, man. Like I say, you're you're a supporter not just through Patreon, but just through your um just through your participation, which means a whole a whole whole lot to me. Uh have you got a Twitter or anything where people can find you and, and be and get in touch with you, sir? Um just at Tad Winter. At Tad Winter on the Twitter. 
Of course, you can follow at Geek Out Loud, at Steve Glosson, and for the entire Goliverse, at Goliverse there on the Twitter. Hey, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing our book club uh, episode with Bald-Headed Rod. Heir to the Jedi is uh, what we're going to be talking about. And uh, you should be getting ready to read Ready Player One right now for next month's book club episode. If you want to join us at our Goodreads page, head over to geekoutonline.com slash reads, geekoutonline.com slash reads. That'll take you to the Goodreads site and to the Goliverse group there. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekoutloud. And uh, the email, of course, is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Anything you want to say, geek out about us with, hit us up at geekoutonline.com at gmail.com don't forget those amazon links use those there at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com and of course if you want to support the shows directly you like tad does you can do so at patreon.com slash geekoutloud and again we thank our sponsor audible.com get your free 30-day trial and your free audiobook by heading to audibletrial.com slash geekout again that's audibletrial.com dot com slash geek out tad one more time i'll say it thank you so much sir for being a part of this and thank you for your support of the goldiverse my pleasure thank you for just giving us great content and just being an awesome dude i, don't I always th- love it when you're on rebel force radio it's always i mean i, I love the, the guys but whenever you're there it you know it's just an extra awesome well i tell you what i enjoy being over there with them we have a good time and uh and they they're really patient with me i always have a good time with those guys and Always look forward to being on with him again and again and again. And I'll be with Jimmy Mack down in uh, Orlando next week for Star Wars Weekends at Disney. And looking forward to the Rebel Force Radio meetup and being a part of Rebel Force Radio then. So uh, I appreciate the kind words. Uh, Ch- Tad, I don't know that we have great content. We're still working toward great. Well, I could tell you that you do have great content. Well, I appreciate that. I wasn't fishing for a compliment. I was just continuing a bit. Is what I was doing. <laughs> of course, of course. But I'm, I'm going to cut you off because you are awesome and your co-hosts are amazing. And it, like every time I see your like a new podcast from you guys, it's it's always uh, a joyous day. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And and we we strive to keep you guys happy and, and keep you entertained and engaged. Again, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks to everyone who's listened live at Mixer.com/slash/Golaverse. And uh, thanks to you guys who've downloaded the podcast via iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you do it. If you're listening on iTunes, please head over to iTunes Store and leave us a review. It makes sure that people know about us and know that we're out there and drives more listeners uh, to the show. So that's going to do it for us. For Tad Winter, I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud. Chewbacca.